1: Today you have your co-host me, Isabella Frappier, and I am so, 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 so kinkily excited to introduce our guest today. Dr. Carolyn Elliott is the author of Existential Kink, a handbook of life-altering magic and cult favorite creativity book, Awaken Your Genius. She runs a seven- bigger online business specializing in helping people achieve dramatic positive change in their lives through shadow integration practices and applied cult philosophy. My emphasis is because I'm going to be hitting that when we chat. Carolyn is known for her uncanny and uncomfortable ability to trick really smart, high-achieving, magical people into doing the things that they actually want to do. She's the teacher of a life-altering online courses, including Wealth, the Alchemical Community, where leaders come into their full power. Woof! Welcome, <laughs> Carolyn Elliott. <laughs> Thank you, Isabella. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you today. I'm like, where do I even want to start? Because there's so many things I'm excited to talk to you about. Um, When I'm reading your bio, I'm struck by the thing, the the line on kind of tricking people into doing what they actually want to do. And it really, there's something that you say, and I'll paraphrase it terribly and I'm sure you can tell us bit more <laughs> deeply about it. But one of the things in Carolyn's work that has really affected me really deeply and positively is the idea that having is evidence of wanting. Can you speak more on that? Because that just like changed my life. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So um, so um that's one of the axioms of existential kink. So if people want to learn more about it, they can find it in my book of the same name. Um, and it's an excavation axiom. So basically it's a tool for me to look at my life and to find out what I am unconsciously creating or what my unconscious has already created. Because, um, you know, it's a funny thing, even though um, psychoanalysis has been, uh, and depth psychology are pretty old by now, still in the popular imagination, people tend to think, oh, my interior monologue that's who I am, who I consciously think I am.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like,
2: well, no. Actually, you know, our interior monologue is just sort of like the tippy tippy top of the iceberg of our psyche. Mm-hmm. And then the rest is the unconscious. And the unconscious is um, so so many of our decisions are made at an unconscious level, you know, um, mm-hmm. who we're attracted to in relationships, um, how we estimate our worth and our value. Um You know, the the ways that that dictates how we get into career situations, or this so, so much. And Mm. it's happening um, at an unconscious level. So, having is evidence of wanting is pointing towards this principle that um, we create in our lives what we have an unconscious desire or attachment Mm. to or enjoyment (laughs) in. And the thing about the unconscious is that it's possible for us to have an unconscious enjoyment in things that our ego, Absolutely hates. Hates, hates, hates. (laughs) And um, the trick of it is, uh, you know, so it's like um, the pioneering psychologist Carl Jung said, um, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you Mm. will call it fate. (laughs) So let's say that I have an unconscious desire to experience scarcity in my life. And I just, I really have this unconscious, compulsive enjoyment in like this anxiety and like feeling humiliated by my low bank account and feeling like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make it to the end of the month? And all of this intensity and sensation, um, I'm unconsciously like really fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. If I don't make that conscious, and and you know i was able to not make that conscious for the first part of my adult life i had that attraction but my conscious mind was like oh my god i hate this i hate being mm. broke this is so embarrassing what's wrong with me why does the world suck so much why is capitalism so evil and just all of these things and um and it was a big process for me to make that previously unconscious enjoyment conscious so that I could liberate myself from it mm. and change my fate. Because it just seemed like my fate. It seemed like it was my fate to be broke all the time, to really be struggling and not be able to find work that I liked or where I was appreciated or paid well. Um, and it was a real feat of self-honesty to admit to myself, oh, actually, mm. you know, my conscious mind hates this, but the deeper part of my psyche really wants it just mm-hmm. is so fulfilled by it just utterly adores it so um you know so this idea of having as evidence of wanting can be a very threatening idea because a lot of us have situations in our lives that are really really icky to mm-hmm. our conscious mind you know i got oh this thing with my partner really sucks they just lied to me or you know um my boss is so mean to me or uh, you know, just all of the billions of things that are uncomfortable in life. And so coming to find the part of my soul that truly, truly, truly has this kinky, freaky enjoyment of like, <laughs> oh, yes, lie to me. Oh, yes, be mean to me. <laughs> yes, it's just like insane like that yeah. and coming to um to accept that that is me as mm-hmm. much as my conscious ego is me and not shaming those desires and enjoyments, not denying them, not repressing them, not Mm -hmm. disowning them. Because any of that, any of being like, like if I go at it with a narrative of like, oh, I have this scarcity in my life and that means I want it. And that's so messed up. And why am I like this? And Mm -hmm. I suck. I'm creating this because I suck so much, you know, any attitude of blaming, shaming, denying, disowning, that will all keep things in the unconscious where they remain generative, where they Mm -hmm. remain. So it's like, as long as something is in my unconscious, let's say a desire, um, it has a kind of autonomous power. And this is another thing that Carl Jung talked a lot about complexes and the way that um, the conscious mind can be taken over by different archetypes, including Mm -hmm. the shadow. And when we're taken over, when we're possessed, It's like that's when that that unconscious desire is in the driver's seat. And we don't even realize it. We don't even know that it's happening. So the challenge of this process that Carl Jung called individuation, and which I believe is synonymous in magic with the process of individuation, or sorry, um, initiation, um, Mm -hmm. and like waking up into our connection with our larger Mm -hmm. self, is a process of coming into relationship with all these pieces in our psyche. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, basically getting really, really cozy and cuddly and sexy with them and whatever it Mm -hmm. takes and no longer being like, oh, that's not part of me. I have nothing in me would ever, ever enjoy this terrible thing because it's a lie Mm because you know... Well, anyways, I'll just pause there because I can keep rambling forever.
1: (laughs) No, I hear what you're saying. It's sort of like an unraveling and an unfolding to yourself, whichever language you want to use. If you're going to go Jungian or more, you Mm -hmm. know, sex witchy. It really makes me think of the intersections between this work and free will, which is not something I had in my mind to chat to you about, but is just coming up for me now of I don't know if our listeners are familiar and I, I highly recommend it it's funny for me to be mentioning a book from like a famed atheist but um Sam Harris who I know controversial some people want to cancel him whatever whatever um he has a great book on free will which is really interesting and there's a part in it that speaks to how they did a study on people making decisions just like little decisions like which color are you going to pick which item are you going to pick up and that the brain registered the decision much later than we thought it was and that makes me think of like it's just so interesting to me how people use all these different frameworks like jungian psychology or you know atheistic science based sam harris shit to explain what really we all kind of know on an, in an embodied way which is like i don't really know why i make the decisions i make it's <laughs> <Right. laughs> happening like we have this illusion that we're really in the driver's seat, I think a lot more than we than we actually are. And that's part of what I love about existential kink, this idea of, yes, like getting out of your own way, getting out of your own kind of like apologies and excuses. Um, and I meant to say this on the top of the call, but I forgot because I'm so excited. Um, but like everything Carol and I are going to be speaking to today, dear night, is just for people that are like into this and they want to explore this work. And I remember for me personally, before I Got to this level of my life, I got really like triggered and challenged when people said things like this. Cause I was like, fuck off. Like, no, this is circumstance. Like, how could I be doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're listening and you're feeling triggered and challenged, that's also okay. And it's totally okay to be wherever you're at and not want to change. And, you know, if it feels safe for your nervous system, but maybe uncomfortable to keep listening, you're a little curious, your interest is peaked, like. Feel free to listen through. Or if you're like, fuck these two ladies, then also fine too. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's a great um
2: great statement um, for all the listeners out there, Isabella. I love that. And it's also so like this this stream of wisdom that we're talking about here, one of the things that I find so fascinating about it is that it has been very well known in many contexts throughout the ages. It was well known to Jung and Freud and all the founding psychologists, but it hasn't really become part of pop psychology (laughs) or pop self-help. I think in part, because it is so freaking offensive. It is just mm-hmm. immensely offensive to everyone's ego. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ego wants to hear like, uh, Hey honey, you know, this big drama in your life and these people who treat you yeah. like some part of you is really, really into that. Like no, mm-hmm. how rude, like nobody wants to hear that. And it's kind of funny because, um, you know, all of the art of dream analysis that Freud and Jung developed mm-hmm. was part of, um, they found that they couldn't just tell people directly, like, "Hey, you have an attachment to this," because they didn't really <laughs> have any clients, right? They're like, clients would like get up and be like, "I'm not
1: paying yeah. you anymore,
2: you rude jerk!" Telling me yeah. that, I like, my... so they would take ten years to show them through their dreams how their own dreams were telling the client, mm-hmm. uh, "Hey, you know, you you're really kind of into this," because <laughs> yeah. when your own dreams tell it to you, then you're like, "Oh, oh man." <laughs>
1: Wow. That's so interesting. And I feel like one of the things I've heard a lot about myself um, on social media is people messaging me being like, you know, when I first stumbled across your account, I was so triggered. And I fucking hated you. And I thought you were like a fake bitch and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. that feels awesome to hear. Uh, and <laughs> I'm like, thanks so much for sharing. Um, and then they're like, you know, but after following you for a while, like I was, I hate followed you. I'm like, oh, awesome. Cool. <laughs> um they're like now I'm like love you and I'm obsessed with you and I realized that it was because like you were triggering parts of me that I wasn't comfortable like embracing and I was like fuck her for for being so loud and out about it and I feel like it really speaks to like there is just such a part of our egos that is so offended by this and also like I feel like part of what I'm hearing you saying but maybe you're not wanting to say is like this is also really powerful transformational work I'll toot your horn um and I feel like Certain people, and particularly in this kind of industry of like, let's just say, you know, self help, don't necessarily want that for the people that they're helping because they kind of want to stay in an, I'll say it, a codependent relationship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's so frustrating. Like the three principles, I don't know if you're familiar, but um, I love the three principles techniques and they absolutely transform your life so quickly as well. And like, there's a great quote in the beginning of um I think it's the enlightened gardener which is a psychologist discovering these principles and realizing he would lose all his clients if he actually practiced them because he they would be you know quote-unquote fixed in like a few sessions mm-hmm. so I feel like there's this sort of duality of like one on an individual basis a lot of people's egos don't want to hear this shit and then on a more business basis like a lot of people are in a scarcity mindset that if they transform someone's life, they won't need them. But for me, I'm like, I want to fucking transform your life. So you don't need me because I trust that you're going to tell 10 other people about how great this was working with me. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's absolutely the, the right mindset. Um, Yeah. It's so interesting. It is. Um, there's, I mean, there's also a notion that I think that this idea of radical responsibility for our mm-hmm. experience is somehow spiritual bypassing that it's bypassing yeah let's talk all about the that. social issues yeah well I think that the whole concept of spiritual bypassing <laughs> is actually a tool that people use to um, maintain themselves stuck in the limitations mm. of materialism mm-hmm. um, because materialism is by far the more dominant force in our culture than any focus on spiritual dimensions. Mm -hmm. And I guess the term spiritual bypassing originally, you know, came to be in the context of people feeling like things like grief and bodily trauma and Mm -hmm. emotional trauma were not being sufficiently addressed by some philosophies like law of attraction or things like that. Mm -hmm. So I I am empathetic to that. But now I feel like people, when I hear the term thrown around, it's like, um, there's a, it's basically, I hear a lot of egos being very offended by the idea that they might actually be um, (laughs) divine emanations that are truly deeply powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's, so that's what existential kink is. And I feel like that's what actually all magic is. Mm -hmm. It's an invitation to take a divine level of responsibility for our Mm -hmm. experience. So certainly on a human separate level, like Um, I'm not responsible for so, so much. Like, how could I be like, um, I'm, I think in terms of the English language, did I invent the English language? No. Mm -hmm. Like, did I create this body? Well, no, my parents had sex and, you know, Mm -hmm. thousands of generations before them, (laughs) you know, so, so many things that I'm not actually responsible for on a human level at all. But, um, I'm not just human and none of us are, you know, we're also divine, we're um, permeated by divinity and everything is. So what I'm interested in is the process of recollecting and remembering um, that divine level of agency, that divine level of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is that it, on the surface, it seems so painful, like to take responsibility for the way that I'm creating the things I don't like about my life. Mm -hmm. But It's called existential kink because there's actually a great ecstatic pleasure in it when we get down to it and we get to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm not, you know, I'm not just this body. I'm not just this ego. I'm this soul that is down for this whole Mm. ride that is so (laughs) into every part of duality that really, really, really is so excited, is just as excited about loss and injury and aging and death and failure as it is excited about winning and riches and Mm. everybody loves me and I'm healthy all the time. Um, So I see this work as being sort of like it's, um, on one hand, it can be easy to have an intellectual notion of I'm divine and uh, everything, but to take that knowledge into my body So I'm Mm -hmm. having a bodily level orgasmic experience, even with things that my mind considers terrible. That's what I'm really curious about. And so that's what existential kink is a practice of Mm -hmm. is making it, um, yeah, making it part of that lived bodily experience. And Mm -hmm. it is very transformative because once people learn how to do this, um, you know, you're unstoppable. Like, if every message of "you're a failure, you suck" hits your body as like "oh, tell me more, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm
1: so bad," <laughs> you know, it's like
2: how's somebody gonna, you know, nobody's gonna be able to like run you over and like your mm-hmm. your light, your energy, your um, can stay strong and unified, and no matter what the world throws at you, you can still burn really brightly and orgasmically and keep going. Mm-hmm. Whereas, at least for me, previously, when I took myself much more seriously and was (laughs) in an egoic way and was not as interested in this divine enjoyment, um, you know, it's like uh, something, any little thing could come at me and make me feel like, oh, I'm such a failure, I'm such a loser, this is like, oh, I'll never get it right, like, and part of what's really awesome and liberating, I think, about the existential kink philosophy is it's this notion that whatever is happening in your life that you don't like it's not there because it's true it's not there because it's real it's not there because you suck it's not there because the world sucks it's there simply because there's a divine enjoyment in it Mm -hmm. it's the only reason for anything is is this weird freaky intense enjoyment that the divine has in absolutely everything Mm, mm -hmm. So if we can put our attention there and allow that enjoyment to arise in our bodies, um, we don't have to keep recreating those patterns. Because the patterns, they keep recreating until we're willing to enjoy them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's sort of like they're looking for our conscious embrace and our conscious acceptance. And once they get that,
1: Mm. then it's like
2: the, the energy that was sort of caught up there gets liberated.
1: I love that, too, because if we're thinking of the idea of being um, souls, you know, that are much more spiritual than just I'm here drinking a hot cacao talking to Carolyn Elliott and I have the idea of who I am as a person and you are as a person. If we're taking it to like a deeper level of like we're eternal beings having a human experience to that eternal being, why would suffering or grief be any less interesting than, than joy and love? And, and I like the idea of like being able to consciously acknowledge that and almost come to these things in a place of curiosity of like oh what is it like to be in this human experience and having this particular type of suffering in this moment ooh, <laughs> like, maybe I've never had this particular type in this moment
2: yes absolutely it becomes um an aesthetic savoring of experience mm-hmm. rather than a moralizing approach to it oh well, I I that's that very interesting is um the mainstream ethos is a very moralizing one Mm -hmm. in approach to all experience. Like this is bad. These people are good. These people are bad. Like, and, and that is so useless. It's just Mm -hmm. utterly endlessly useless. Nobody has ever gotten better by being told how terrible they are. Mm -hmm. Nothing, you know, (laughs) evil still exists in the world, no matter how much we disapprove of it. Um, the, (laughs) Whereas, you know, beginning to look at um, our life experience at the whole world as this tapestry that is gruesome in some parts and sweet and adorable in other parts, but it's all part of the same inseparable weaving. Mm -hmm. And that's literally what the word tantra means is a weaving. Mm -hmm. And um, my magical practice is rooted in uh, Tantric Hermeticism, also known as the Lema, uh, which is sort of a a means in the Western esoteric tradition of looking at life and experience as this weaving. And so one of the main goals in this kind of uh, spiritual work is called is the reconciliation of polarities. So, or the reconciliation of opposites. So recognizing that all of the evil that exists in the world is absolutely inseparable from the most precious, beautiful things. So like I have a, an adorable, wonderful two-year-old daughter. She's the mm-hmm. cutest of joy of my heart. And her existence in the phenomenal world is not separable from the worst crimes and the worst, Mm -hmm. you know, pollutions and wars and everything. It's all this inseparable unfolding. And I think, um, you know, we, the mainstream consciousness really resists uh, taking in that um, appreciation of the whole tapestry and the balancing of, of all the polarities um, because it diminishes the sense of separation mm-hmm. to really feel that way. And um, and the moralistic righteousness of it all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And there's like, there's a lot of juice. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. fun. There's a lot of pleasure in the separation, in the righteousness, mm-hmm. in all of the suffering that comes from believing ourselves to be separate. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a, another part of existential kink is just, you know, hey, I can realize that I'm really into believing that I'm a separate being who's like really way better than all of those evil, bad, nasty people out there doing all these crimes and stuff. And I can just like recognize I freaking love feeling like a separate ego. It's a really high priority to me, Mm -hmm. even though as a separate ego, I feel vulnerable to death and injury and all sorts Mm -hmm. of terrible things that really scare me. Um, I also just have just so much fun feeling like I'm completely separate from all the bad people out there just everything and mm-hmm. just let myself have that pleasure and the mm-hmm. more I let myself have that pleasure the less um sort of the less attached to it I am or or rather mm-hmm. the less it 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 sideways takes me over and that makes it. sense.
1: Yeah that makes sense and it feels like also coming back to Sam Harrison's book, Free Will, there's a great and super triggering part in the beginning of it that talks about how like an awful crime that was committed. And he runs through how if you had had that criminal, you know, I wish we did do video for these because I feel like I'm constantly doing Mm. quote fingers when I'm (laughs) talking on podcasts. But if you were this criminal and had had his life exactly, you would do the exact same Crime. And that's such a challenging thing for people to understand. But I feel like it really speaks to this as well, in that if we can understand the truth of that, it really lifts the weight of it mm-hmm. and, and that moral uh value that we're ascribing. Not to that's say that you know we should go around murdering people, but to say that people that commit crimes do it because of a series of circumstances and also you know perhaps these subconscious beliefs that would could only be continued to be reinforced and integrated by their circumstances of like well you're a criminal now you're going to go to prison you're bad you're wrong there's no real reform or deep unconditional love you know what are we expecting
2: absolutely absolutely and um yeah, there's um I read a quote from Swami Vivekananda recently that I thought expressed this very eloquently where he was talking about um something about how Christ is being crucified in all of the people in the world who are doing, you know, malevolent or mm-hmm. um, you know, terrible things. They are their Christ and their their sacrifice is to be absorbed in that evil mm. so that I can be here where i am all comfy mm-hmm. feeling like a good person like they're mm-hmm. sac- they are they are sacrificing themselves into evil to allow me to have the experience of being good and i am utterly indebted to them and utterly yeah. in humble awe relationship with them
1: wow that is so powerful and i'm like are you reading my journal mm. uh i've been working through some twin flame stuff which we'll talk about on a different episode but it's really made me realize that the people that have done things that I deemed to be awful to me, what a fucking amazing gift they gave me and how hard that must've been for them on a soul level, them as a soul being who loves me so much as a soul being Mm. to do that to me and like how much they must love me on a soul level to have agreed to on a human level, come down and do that. And I think I would have found that really triggering to hear many years ago. So I'm presencing that for our listeners. And I want to give a really particular example in my life of I, when I first moved to the States, I got into a terribly abusive relationship, awful, like every type of abuse, tick, tick, tick. And I don't, looking at that now, I don't excuse that person's behavior in the sense of like, I deserved to receive that. Mm Right. Right. But I also getting out of that situation and God bless and all of the privileges I had that helped me get out of that situation which not everybody has, but being able to look back on it and and really look at the parts of myself that, I don't want to say that it allowed me to get into the situation because I was definitely tricked um, under false pretenses, but then kept me in there. Like, of mm-hmm. course there were parts of me that were like, yeah, I deserve this terrible treatment mm-hmm. and having the opportunity to look at them and heal them and be like, you know what? I don't fucking deserve that. And I would never put up with that shit again has been like such an incredible gift in my life. So I think we can really look at these, Situations that a lot of people see as very binary, very black and white, very moralistic as uh, immeasurably nuanced and rich and juicy and full and ripe with lessons and meaning and love and significance. But that is not something a lot of people (laughs) have a chance to hear about. (laughs) No, no, it is
2: uncomfortable to consider, but I think um, it's it's so important to talk about because it... uh, You know, the irony is that um, being unwilling to consider that evil... Mm -hmm might have any evolutionary purpose just keeps us in ironically this like really nihilistic depressed mm-hmm. hopeless place of being like well there's just all this terrible stuff that happens and it's pointless and it's meaningless and it goes nowhere and it's yeah. no purpose and there's nothing we can do and might as and well that just-
1: energy is so stagnant too like people that have that narrative I'm, I'm always saying to them like what are you doing though right. like I hear people complaining all the time about like politics or global warming and I'm like yeah, those things stress me out too but like what are you actively doing other than just mouthing off about them and enjoying the feeling of hating it (laughs) I think when we really can embrace our shadows be clear on them you know fuck them be with them we can also then come into a place of more action
2: absolutely absolutely yeah there's um there's like a clarity and an inspiration that comes um yeah. When that embrace and that fucking happened, yeah. for sure. Like for sure. do like even...
1: something about it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So even if like the kind of person that you're talking about, who's just like, you know, talking about how much things suck. And if they could yeah. even just be aware like, oh my God, I love talking about how much things suck. <laughs> yes, yes, oh my God, I'm going to yes. check the news to see what else terrible happened. God, I hope some terrible things happened today that I could feel really mad about. Yes. <laughs> like just You know, making that conscious and giving it approval and giving it mm-hmm. love. And, um, that in itself would liberate a bunch of energy to then Mm -hmm. be like, wow, I feel amazing. I can go do this and this and this Mm -hmm. cool, awesome thing, you know? Yeah.
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I feel like for me, a big part of what I really struggle with in terms of people in this field talking about like manifestation and magic is the lack of conversation around like structural systemic issues and privileges um because i mean even just in the example i gave like i have a lot of really specific privileges that helped me get out of that situation um the abusive one And I wonder, like, how, if you're interested in speaking on it, to no worries if not, how do you feel like, you know, systemic uh, injustices and access to privilege, I suppose interacts with this idea of like existential kink because I can see how like someone like myself that has I really relate to your story which I didn't even get into but people should read your book and like I'm I'm, not, I'm trying to ask you and talk to you about mm-hmm. things that people can't access for free as well but mm-hmm. Carolyn's story is fucking amazing and you should all learn about it um but I really relate to it as someone that um is white and I have certain privileges that was really poor my whole life like grew up quite poor stayed poor and then I was like you know what I'm fucking over this and I took some really particular steps that were magical and practical um but I wonder how that interacts with people that are in systemic situations that they've had really like no control of like how these techniques could still help them and kind of how that speaks to that Mm -hmm, absolutely
2: so very deep, very important question. And yeah. We could absolutely. spend like all day talking about just that, but like in a <laughs> nutshell. <laughs> right, in a, in, a, in a little nutshell, I think the answer is this. I think the answer is that um, a sovereign, empowered, magical viewpoint will always be more helpful to a person mm-hmm. no matter what condition they mm-hmm. start out in, no matter where in the world they are than a materialist disempowered Mm -hmm. um position so for example there's um you know my own story I'm, i'm white i have all of the societal statuses that come with that um i was also quite you know my family was in poverty and um uh, my mother hates that when I say that on podcast interviews. I love you, mom. She was very resourceful. I'm glad
1: mine doesn't listen to anything. She's
2: <laughs> <yet. laughs> very, very resourceful with limited resources, but we were technically living below the poverty level. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: And uh, like, so that, anyways, just to name that, that was my thing, but even imagining mm-hmm. somebody much worse off than I am, yeah. let's say, somebody in, uh, Africa in a Mm -hmm. village that's been like torn by war, um, with like very limited everything, food, Mm -hmm. education to, if they are holding a viewpoint of like, you know, I'm at the, I'm purely at the mercy of outside forces. Um, I'm just this body. I'm just this personality. Um, wow. I'm really, really screwed. Mm -hmm. um that doesn't allow that just doesn't allow for much movement and much possibility whereas let's just say by some grace they've learned this viewpoint of um i am an infinitely magical divine being and i'm generating everything in my experience including Mm -hmm. this very difficult painful situation and um I have the right to celebrate all of my creation and I have the right to stay open to my creation evolving and um, to you know mysterious resources and help coming through in response to my own inner knowledge and my own contemplation of my deep divinity and my bliss and my divinity. Um, To me, at least, that seems like that would generate a pretty strong synchronistic response Mm -hmm. from the surroundings, even if the surroundings were pretty bleak, Mm -hmm. that um, there, you know, there might be encounters, gifts. I mean, this is what every fairy tale, every myth in the world is about, right? It's like the the person who's like lost and in a hopeless situation who somehow manages to um, stay connected to magic and magic happens, And I honestly, I think that, um, you know, what's interesting about, let's even just say, um, uh, affluent white culture in the United States, for example, is very permeate, very, very permeated by dogmatic materialism and very, very Mm -hmm. spiritually impoverished to a large Mm -hmm. degree. So for example, I mean, I grew, you know, like I've seen people, in um in the suburbs, in like predominantly white suburbs, they have money. They can go to the mall all day long, every day, every single material comfort, right? They're all on tons of prozac and
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know uh, benzodiazepine and every single mm-hmm. other thing, and their kids all get addicted to heroin. and there's still the misery, misery, mm-hmm. misery pervading, even with all of this societal status of material privilege. Um, Because they don't know how to, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: they've been incalculated, (laughs) indoctrinated with this um, very barren philosophy, and they're Mm -hmm. not in touch with their deep magic and their deep heritage. So I actually, (laughs) um, to me, the materialist viewpoint of we're all just limited by whatever... (sighs) you know, happenstances we find ourselves in and we're all just created Mm -hmm. um, by these material circumstances. To me, that viewpoint um, is one that uh, um, deliberately, I I suspect, I'm just going to go ahead and say Mm -hmm. it, I suspect is deliberately broadcast and deliberately taught in schools and deliberately made the focus of everything Because it is so incredibly disempowering and it makes Mm -hmm. people easier to control and it makes people more desperate to consume things Mm -hmm. and it makes people, um, you know, disassociated from any real power. So another thing is... (laughs) Oh we have a massive fear of death in mm-hmm. in mainstream materialist society and in the United States certainly you know we we hide old people away in homes we have funeral yeah. homes there's no funeral rites in people's disregard houses disregard
1: their wisdom like it's awful Absolutely and
2: what is that about Well it's like the more afraid people are of death the more controllable they are mm-hmm. like you can't control People who are fully embracing and fully willing to die. Like mm. the Vikings. You couldn't wow. control the Vikings because the Vikings did not, they were excited to go to Valhalla, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way you could enslave a people that's um happy and at peace with you know the idea of going into a um a life beyond the body. I just think about that sometimes. I think about how much the conditioning we have um is really a conditioning that promotes um, slavery of all sorts, both for the very materially privileged people and for the people on the lower rungs. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, that gets into a whole lot of stuff. But I guess my answer to that was just be like, um, yeah, magical sovereignty, power, and bliss will always make a situation better, whatever the situation mm-hmm. starts out as. And I think maybe another interesting point to consider is that some of these conversations that happen today about privilege, um, I find they—they're sort of ignoring something, which is that like privilege is not unique to like say the modern structure of um, of America, for example the world has always been organized on um, status of various groups that's been won through violence. Mm -hmm. That's, that's been the name of the game for thousands of years. And uh, so there's a way in which um, I think it's a little bit the wrong question asking, maybe I'm, I'm getting myself mixed up, but just pointing that this is all human stuff that, that's been mm-hmm. happening for a very long time. All of this imperialism, all of this, you know, people's enslaving other peoples. Um, and that there's a way in which I hope that we can begin to evolve out of it. But I suspect that evolving out of it entails a lot more than just bemoaning it because mm-hmm. it's been bemoaned for many mm-hmm. thousands of years. And um, I think there's a way in which taking radical, experience, radical responsibility for any way that I've created um, or participated in or been attracted to the various ways that I've been oppressed mm-hmm. is always going to be more interesting and more revelatory and um, more empowering than uh, just like waiting around being mad about mm-hmm. how oppressed I've been. So for me, mm-hmm. the main example of that would be, you know, experiences I've had of sexism And uh, it's a very, very interesting, deep rabbit hole, the relation between the masculine and the
1: Mm -hmm. feminine and
2: how, um, what's been going on with that. So anyways.
1: Yeah. No, that makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. I'm always so interested in the way different people in the magical community kind of navigate these systemic uh, issues with sort of personal responsibility of magic. And I just... I find it deeply fascinating. Um, And I feel like there's so, and I, I really, I mean, I can only speak to my white experience, but I find that for myself, there's been so much, fear that I will do or say something wrong or incorrect, that it has kept me in like a small limited space rather than being someone that's like, okay, well, I'm really excited and interested to learn more and do more and explore the ways that I am also an oppressor and also oppressed and more of the nuances and subtleties and the ways that magic can be wildly helpful. And then also, you know, the the more kind of trivial jokes that I like to make of like, maybe we manifested it, maybe it's white privilege, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I just like being able to navigate some of those dualities. And I, like we were talking about earlier with people that are complaining about like global warming and stuff. I just notice a lot of white people, particularly in this industry, complaining a lot and not doing anything. And I think when we can really like take some radical actions and make changes, um, that's the most helpful we can be, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that meme, the, you know, maybe you manifested <laughs> it, maybe it's white privilege, right? It's such a zinger, so good. So funny. So funny. And what I think is interesting about that is that, um, you know, of course, it's playing on this idea because, like, um, the idea of meritocracy, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I earned what I have and I did it on my individual yes. merits and it, I did it through even... You know, my hard work or just my magical power uh, its really, really false. But the funny, maybe, maybe both very funny and very fucked up and very tragic mm-hmm. thing is, is that, say, like a blonde chick in L.A. who mm-hmm. dreams about her favorite, you know, Malibu apartment and then, you know, <laughs> gets it, makes it happen. Like, well, you know, she did manifest that—not just individually, but through all of the violence of her ancestors mm-hmm. did that for her. The will of her ancestors and mm. all of its epic, rapacious violence was like that fucking Malibu apartment. Stacy mm. gets it, okay? Mm. And Stacey, I'm not saying- <laughs> <perfecting> choice, <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying that that kind of magic or that kind of violence is uh, great or should continue yeah. or should be the way that we humans go on forward but that that is um, our ancestors' will and our ancestors' violence and our ancestors' everything Mm -hmm. is part of the magic and the manifestation at the disposal of of any of us. That's
1: interesting. I haven't heard someone say it that way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's very uncomfortable to think about.
1: (laughs) And it's uncomfortable to think about too because there's no group
2: on earth right now. There certainly are groups on earth that are... um, in, you know, more difficult positions than others in different places, right? There's no group on earth that is innocent in its history of having exploited and enslaved and committed Mm. violence against other groups. There just is not. Mm. And um, so I just feel like it is this interesting thing of, um, I feel like as humanity, we are being challenged to question ourselves at a deep, deep level to instead of Mm -hmm. like, keep seeing some of us as oppressors and some of us as oppressed or some are victimizers and some of our victims of being like, man, could we let go of the whole game of, hmm. of the victim game of the oppressor game? Could we get interested in another sort of way of playing with each other? Because this way, maybe has uh, served its purpose fully. And we've mm-hmm. we've done it enough to each other in all different positions all over the globe that maybe we're willing to um, wake up into our divinity in such a way that we don't have to act it out in this gruesome fashion anymore.
1: Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think for me, it falls under the idea. I saw, I think it was maybe a year or two ago that there was like headlines made when Kylie Jenna was named like, self-made billionaire of the year or something mm-hmm. and I thought self-made really right really that's interesting and I, like I really hear part of what you're speaking to in that of like we really it's not that you go after the Malibu apartment and you get it on your own like literally things have to happen like people have to lease it to you like actual things have to happen um and it really speaks to the way like our community reacts and responds to us so I think that's why I kind of like and resonate with the maybe manifested and maybe it's white privilege meme because for me I feel like we can all be using these tools but the way we're in relationship with people kind of affects their outcome and their efficacy you know
2: yes absolutely yeah there's there are different dynamics at play in different <laughs> Mhm absolutely. Just yeah. the idea
1: of self-made anything is so funny to me. I'm like, really, will you just totally by yourself the whole time and never talk to another human being? <laughs> right? <laughs> in what reality do you live in cuz that sounds lonely. But I think a lot of this speaks to our ideas of um fear and lack and and how we can shift them into abundance both like emotionally and practically and the more money people have, particularly people for me that have been historically disenfranchised, like the better we will all be. What advice do you have for listeners on how to like, regardless of their circumstances, how they can shift their mindset so that they can get more financial abundance? Because you're such an amazing expander for people in that, like such a a queen witch of the the big abundance magic. And I really appreciate that in this world. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, the essence
2: of it um, I mean, people can check out my book for a more detailed explanation, but the essence is like looking at whatever I have in my life, however much or however little it is. And usually the human brain has a tendency to say it's quite little and it's not enough. <laughs> it's usually the tendency, um, to look at it and be like, oh my gosh, this experience right here of this, you know, this longing and this wanting and this, um, this scarceness and this wanting more and this feeling like this in itself is so, so rich Mm. right here, right as it already is. And I'm going to give myself permission instead of like waiting for big orgasmic joy the day, you know, when I'm finally have the amount of money that I want instead of that, I'm going to let myself get off on how extremely rich I am in this scarcity Mm -hmm how um, I am just like a billionaire of scarcity and anxiety and humiliation. And I fucking love it. I love these things. I love Mm. them more than I love the money. I have these things because they're actually more valuable and more important to me than whatever the money is. Mm. And that's okay. And I'm just going to let them be as important to me and as valuable to me and my soul as they are fully fully celebrate them at this insane freaky slutty kinky level i'm just <laughs> going to go hog wild and um you know be this like holy whore that's like utterly just receiving the sensation of this lack this scarcity this humiliation this limitation this bondage because that's really what it is right when we we feel like we don't have the freedom like money is freedom right to go Mm -hmm. where we want to have what we want so when I'm feeling a lack of it it's really this like deep exquisite bondage and -hmm. can I just let myself feel as nailed as I am as um as fucked by I am, as I am by the universe right now, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes when people are really like at their wits' end or they're really broke, they're like, "Man, I am fucked." Well, yeah. just let yourself be completely fucked. Just be fucked by the universe and stop resisting it. Stop being like, "No, no, no, universe, don't, don't touch me that way," because the universe is just going to keep going anyways. The universe is a dom without a safe word. It's very mm-hmm. violating. <laughs> And our only choice really is like, how deep are we willing to open to experience that penetration? Like, can we let ourselves experience it not as violation, but as the penetration of the most immense, wonderful lover? So like every moment of reality, um, the universe is making love to me. And how am I responding to that? Am I like, not right now. I'm not in the mood. Ooh, stop. No. Or am I like, oh my God, yes. this. Uh, The zero in my bank account. Oh, it's a negative 50 in my bank account. Oh my God. (laughs) This bill, I don't know how I'm going to pay it. Oh. And of course it sounds insane, but of course, when we let ourselves have that joy and that orgasmic energy and that like unshakable um, bliss, there's an immense creativity there Mm. that opens up. And we start to get ideas about, you know, businesses that we can start, things that we can do, things that we can sell. Uh, jobs that we can apply for and we stop feeling identified with like um, I'm so limited and I suck so much and all of these things that really shut down creativity so we we open up to this new level of inspiration and then I'm you know we need to act on that inspiration mm-hmm. but it's <laughs> like that energy opens up and it comes it becomes available in a way that it's not available as long as I'm just like oh poor me why am I, uh, nobody wants me, I'm, uh, you know, it's like, um, it's moving from a self-pity identity to a completely blissed and orgasmically fulfilled identity.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
2: turns out people would much rather give money to, would much rather hire, would much rather <laughs> spend time with people who have an energy of like being madly orgasmically fulfilled than mm-hmm. they would people who have an energy of being like really self-pitying and they feel like they suck and the world Mm -hmm. sucks, you know? So that's a repellent energy.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: So we, through existential kink, we can move into this like much, much more magnetic um, energy. That's not based Mm -hmm. on denying anything. It's not based on ignoring the reality of where we are. It's just based on um, having a really freaky kinky, wanton embrace of where we Mm, are.
1: I love that and I feel like you know our listeners of course are interested in sex magic and a lot of them have professions and interests that are just non-conventional you know and I know for myself that my business is very you know I guess non-conventional and triggering to people and I wonder, I, I just feel very conscious of how grateful I am to be in a reality where I can speak freely on a podcast with you and thousands of listeners about magic and not be murdered for it. Um, I feel so conscious of how it was not that long ago that my ancestors were being killed for being witches. And I wonder, could you speak to like how you feel like the the witch wound is kind of still rippling down and getting its claws into us? I feel like for me, the way it manifests most commonly is like, I'm, I'm scared of being visible because I'm scared I'm going to be, you know, witch killed, essentially. Yeah. So- I don't have better words in English for that. <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. That fear of
2: offending people and yeah. getting, you know. So that, uh, that happened to me recently. I went ahead and did mm. that. And I had like 2,000 people commenting on my Instagram, telling me how much I sucked. <laughs> and, mm. um, you know, and <laughs> anyways, it's been a whole really interesting experience. And I, I sort of, I almost deliberately provoked it because I just wanted to get it over with because mm. I was aware of in myself that I was like holding things back, not expressing things, wanting to be diplomatic all the time, but not mm-hmm. really feeling like full on in my expression. So I went ahead and I did the thing and I said something that I knew would, you know, press buttons and be provocative and it upset a lot of people. And I had like 150 people leave my online community Mm -hmm. and I had a bunch, anyways, all of this stuff. And uh, and it was a very harrowing, deep adventure that also opened me into a lot of fascinating dialogue with Mm -hmm. um, many people. But I think the essence of it um, essence of overcoming the witch wound to me is just deciding that I am willing to be burnt over and over and over again. And I have no problem with it. I'm totally Mm -hmm. okay with it. I'm really, really completely fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) with any consequence that comes of me Mm -hmm. expressing the truth as well as I can. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes I'll mess it up. Sometimes I'll be unnecessarily rude or shitty in the way that I express it. Sometimes I'll be, um, you know, I'll, I'll be completely perfect in the way that I express it, but I'm just expressing something that is offensive to the social mores, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things. Um, if I'm holding in my mind that I am unwilling to be killed by the mob. Mm mm-hmm then why wouldn't I be silent? I mean, that's the only way to, that's a way to ensure safety. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, to like be, um, to have expression as an artist, as a magician, as a leader in the world, I have to be like unreservedly willing to experience whatever comes at Mm -hmm. me as a consequence of that. And basically it's like the message or the transmission that I'm giving has to be way more important to me then my comfort, then my respectability, then my anything.
1: Hmm.
2: And um, of course, there's a way in which that's a reckless attitude to take. Um, But there's another way in which, um, and I think maybe a lot of your listeners who've maybe, um, you know, spent a lot of time in meditation or uh, with entheogenic medicines or have had, you know, you know that you've been burnt multiple times and you know that you're still here. You keep mm-hmm. coming back. They can't get rid of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like, um, you know, and just might as well be balls, a uh, uh, labia mm-hmm. to the wall with it or whatever <laughs> you've got um, because we are eternal beings and we are eternally in relationship with each other and we are, you know, eternally offending mm. each other and healing each other mm-hmm. and torturing each other and nurturing each other mm-hmm. and to just you know be as full on in the world as we need to be I think is a beautiful thing and I mm-hmm. I mean of course there's also people's vows of silence are also beautiful things there's all different mm-hmm. ways to to do do the witch work but um for the loudmouth way that i'm following this is <laughs> this is
1: what wow. i thought. yeah that's so expensive i feel like you know just using this um this parallel of you know which is being burned the stake which was a very real reality grim as it may be i feel like i'm i'm quite anti cancel culture you know i feel even silly saying the words cuz it's so silly to me mm. um I think there are probably times where there are people that are so disinterested in growth and so leveraged already with their privilege that like continuing to give them a voice is probably unnecessary but I think that the way it's most commonly practiced on social media I mean like there's such a huge difference to me this is just me in my opinion between like the Harvey Weinsteins of the world (laughs) and someone who like said something a bit wrong on social media that is really open to like learning and growing and it feels like I don't want to live in the paradigm where people can't make mistakes and, you know, figure out how to move forward from them.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's just interesting. I think that um, part of why we have just so much, uh, I think it's ultimately a beautiful thing. Like that there is like, for example, like I'm just really grateful for the massive public shaming I just had. It was awesome. in so many, I'm just like, I just, wow. <laughs> like, but <that>, thank you. <laughs> and it's, it's a way in which, you know, sort of right now with the internet, with social media, we have an unprecedented amount of communication, right? So you can mm-hmm. say something and I can reach 20,000 people from my Instagram and then 20,000 people from around the world that I've just said something to, it mm-hmm. pushes them the wrong way. They don't, doesn't feel good in their nervous system. They can have a freak out at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's um this has not this would not have been able to happen 20 years ago Mm -hmm. uh, or whatever I don't know I'm losing the timeline now but it's a it's a pretty new phenomenon Mm -hmm. and um I think that it's precipitating part of this evolution in human consciousness of um us becoming much more aware of each other and much more Mm -hmm. sensitive to each other and and um that it's probably inevitable that we'll continue to freak out at each other until we don't anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, I, one of the things that I concentrate upon and that I'm working on with my wealth community, um, I'm really, really interested in creating a concentration of alchemical literacy in the world. Mm. So um, at least a few thousand people, I'm ultimately aiming for about 10,000 people who really, really, really know how to make the unconscious conscious, who know, you know, the the Basque word for witch is sorghanak, which means one who makes her own fate. Mm. And so who mm, know how to so. make the unconscious conscious so that it's not ruling their lives, they're not calling it fate anymore. Instead, they're in charge of their own fate. Um, I want to create this concentration of of, of alchemical literacy, because to my mind, that's the clearest way forward um, is through the evolution of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And this has happened at other times in human history. So for example, actual literacy was (laughs) um, an innovation that uh, very much changed the way that human consciousness operates. Maybe some would say for the worse, but it changed it. (laughs) And um, anyways, I don't think that we're going to get to I I think that there's a deep longing in human hearts for a more beautiful, bountiful Mm. world for all. And I just don't think that we get there necessarily through, um, through politics so much as we do through uh, changing the way our consciousness works.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, I so appreciate that. And I know that there's a desire for that in my heart and, I just think on that individual level, we can often have so much more impact. Like if each person does their own work to figure out how to come and meet people with love, I think that will have a really profound effect. And I I mean, I haven't said this on the podcast before, but, you know, I, of course, try to be political in the ways that are helpful um in terms of like action but i don't i you know i don't have the most faith like everyone was like woo biden i'm like oh cool another super old white guy like you really <laughs> think that's going to change our paradigm that much like yes i'm glad it's not trump but um you know i have more faith in in the individuals of this world kind of like waking up and coming to a place of more love and magic than i do an old white guy changing the world, you know, like it's one person. That's a lot of pressure on one person's shoulders. Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, a big piece of this is like my own perfectionism. And I'm like a a Libra stellium. So all across the place, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like not offend people and always make sure everything's fair and equitable. Um, I'm wondering that for me, this feels like that's a big stumbling block that I try to romance and, you know, do my existential kink on, I'm wondering for you in that period of that liminal space for you, when you were moving out of a place of, of lack and into abundance, both emotionally and financially, what were kind of the stumbling blocks that you came across and how did you move through them?
2: Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) You know, it was all sort of, it was, I mean, I think the deepest stumbling block for me was, really understanding that I didn't have to shame um, Mm. my enjoyment in my poverty, Mm. that I could really like fully let it be present in my body, even though it was so, so weird. I mean, it's so, you're not supposed to enjoy poverty. That's fucked up. Like Mm -hmm. that's insane. And just like being like, no, actually this is a kind of insanity that I am allowing myself to have because, you know, um, it's, there's a way in which the um you know the sanity of always being upset with bad circumstances and always being pleased with good circumstances is just immensely boring like why not try something else <laughs> why not uh just get like super excited about you know you've just been dumped like yeah <laughs> why not see what happens and uh, because when uh, so there's that, that shame and that, but um, mm-hmm. like I said, it was sort of coming again to the deep realization of like this, this condition of this lack is not here because I deserve it. It's not mm-hmm. here because it's true. It's not here because the world sucks. It's here simply to be enjoyed period, full stop. Mm-hmm. It's an aesthetic experience among any aesthetic experience that I could have in the world I can have every single experience of life in this aesthetic savoring. So it's sort of like Mm. instant, like um, like getting excited about the avant-garde, like bizarre installation artwork of my
1: (laughs) of my janky car, Machiavellian artiste within. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. So operating within that and, um, and a big thing for me, and I'll definitely encourage this for all your listeners was um, getting a mentor to Mm. show me how to make money in the way that I wanted to make money. So um, it was a big process for me to decide to invest in a mentor but um I'm ultimately very, very happy that I did. And that was a bridging step that mm-hmm. then that person was able to show me, like, okay, you can do this, you can do that. And um, it was sort of like I emerged from that seeing myself as so lacking and so pathetic to seeing myself as somebody who deserved to have a mentor, mm-hmm. who deserved, you know, to invest in myself and to learn things. So, you know, that just like actual knowledge gap or skill gap of mm-hmm. like. And, and of course it is, you know, it's a tough thing. Like many of us have been sold the notion that you can go to college and that will get you mm-hmm. in a um, career track. And it was like, that is completely a lie. That is not how mm-hmm. that works. <laughs> you know, you really have to um, find your own way in the world and you really have mm-hmm. to find your own alliances with people in whatever profession or field that you want to be mm-hmm. in. Um I recommend the book 48 Laws of Power for people who who want to learn a little bit more about worldliness. I certainly needed to learn more about it um, by Robert Greene. It's a classic. Um, And I think there was also a stumbling block for me for a long time of like knowing that I wanted power and wealth in my life. And feeling like that was so bad, that was so mm. wrong, and I should just want, you know, to be like Mother Teresa, or just, you know, mm-hmm. completely in service to others all the time. And uh, I guess what I came to accept was that, again, desires don't evolve by being shamed or repressed. They just don't. So meeting my desire me like, I desire to have a lot of money. I desire to have power in my world and to be in charge of things and be the boss lady. Those are my honest desires and I'm Mm going to go for them. And maybe someday my desire will be purely altruistic or purely ascetic, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to sit, but it's not there now. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit around just telling myself it should be there and just Mm -hmm. sitting on my hands until it gets there. Instead, I'm just going to act on these, you know desires as they are and find out what happens and you know Mm -hmm. what's funny is like after you know for the past five years I've been making a lot of money in my business and I've been in charge and now I'm like holy moly how do I stop being in charge how do I make (laughs) this like get this down to so I just want to leave everybody leave me alone so I can meditate like (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like how so now I'm starting to have more of an actual desire for not the things of this world, for more of that inner contemplative, whatever, but that's not where my desire was back Mm -hmm. in the day. So I think just that, just like having that honesty with oneself and not shaming oneself for wherever one's desire is. And instead just deciding, you know, to be the epic protagonist of your life. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go for whatever desires I have 100,000%. Sort of like um, William Blake said, uh, the road of the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. So, um, that's from the, the marriage of heaven and hell, which is a great mm-hmm. reconciling polarity yeah. classic, um, like going absolutely going for what I want, um, and dissolving whatever impediments within myself I find to it. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of basically evolving desire via fulfillment rather Mm -hmm. than via denial or Mm -hmm. shaming it.
1: I love that. And I, that's actually a quote that I like and think about a lot um, and don't feel totally resolved that I ever can understand entirely what he meant. Um, But I love there's a quote also by Jim Carrey, who says, uh, I wish that everybody on earth would get fame and money and power so that they would know that it, doesn't mean anything and doesn't make you happy. <laughs> right. Right. And I think for me like a big um portion of my work that has been helpful is trusting myself as a person that can be trusted with money. I literally say to myself, I'm a person that can be trusted with huge sums of money. And not that I have yet to receive these huge sums, but last year in my business I definitely made a lot more than I ever have before during, you know, Mm-hmm. also a, well, the last two years have made more um and you know one of those years was during kind of I guess a recession and COVID and all of that and I noticed when I was doing my taxes that I had also donated more money to charities mm-hmm. and given away more sliding scales and scholarships to historically marginalized people than I had my entire career prior mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I am fucking wrong about this idea that like I shouldn't make a lot of money because look what happens when I make a lot of money. Like I can be trusted also to uh, or I trust myself also to disperse mm. money in a good way. And um, I really appreciate you speaking to that. There's also a book that is so outdated but I kind of love mm-hmm. um, Cold. I don't know if you know of it. The trick to money is having some. Oh, I'll look it up. I it's a really funny older book. Like a lot of the writing is very outdated, um, but it's got some really juicy pearls in there. So for our listeners, we'll put these books in the show notes as well. Um, oh, I can mention a, a money book that I love. Oh, Henny.
2: Um, The Millionaire from Nazareth by Catherine Ooh. Ponder. Um, it was a fun new thought, Unity Church classic book um, about... Basically the miracles of Jesus being miracles of abundance of bounty. Ah. So one thing that I think is very interesting is sometimes you know this idea that money is the root of evil or money, you know mm-hmm. is um, this terrible thing that's just dividing all of us and mm-hmm. uh, oppressing us. Something that I think is very, very interesting to contemplate. there's a, a book called, um, I think it's called Money an Unauthorized Biography by Felix Martin. and I mm-hmm. highly recommend that. It's a history book. And it's really about the origins of currency as we know it, which came about in ancient Greece um, when sort of the ancient Greek tribes, they got some literacy that they inherited from uh, trade with Babylon. They figured out how to use writing. And so they figured out how to write these little IOU notes Mm. and um, became this you know, sort of basically the same kind of currency we have today. And what's so interesting is before that existed, so first of all, the Greeks had initially, they had like huge um, distrust with this, especially the aristocratic Greeks Mm. were like, this is terrible. This means that people can just be spreading value all around, you know, they associated it with a trickster god, Hermes, Mm. Hermes. And the reason that they thought it was terrible, the aristocrats didn't like the invention of money, was because previously up until then, the only ways that things were exchanged or that you could get more rich than you were, the main way was through war. You went Mm. and you attacked and you took somebody else's shit that way, Mm. or you inherited it from your family who had accumulated it by going and attacking other people and taking their stuff. Mm. Or you attacked a bunch of people and enslaved them and made them get stuff for you. (laughs) But Mm. the invention of money was the first time that merchants or, you know, craftspeople could be like, I created this thing of value. You can give me Mm. money for it. You can have, I'll give you the thing of value, then I'll take this money and I'll use it to do other things. So it basically became, um, there was a whole class of people who were not slaves and who were not military lords, but who were creating goods and services mm. and using money to exchange it. Um, and then that class of people, you know, gradually became more dominant than the warrior mm. lords in many cases. Makes
1: situations. me think of like a cryptocurrency, actually.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I feel so like that's, that's kind of a- the
1: second wave of that.
2: Well, absolutely. And, and that's fascinating, right? Because for uh, thousands of years, the main form of currency has been um, state-sanctioned, mm-hmm. state-controlled currency mm-hmm. that's used to pay taxes and you know, like, that's why the, like, the dollar is legal tender to pay taxes in the United States. You have to pay taxes with US dollars and that's, anyways. So cryptocurrency, a currency that is not controlled by any mm-hmm. state, fascinating innovation there. I also think another really deep innovation and um, or a deep set of things to think about is that, so there's this way in which money created a whole lot of peacefulness and a whole lot of opportunity that didn't exist before money existed. And um, it and it still is in many ways a symbol of our separation, a symbol of you know mm-hmm. somebody can have more, somebody can have less. Um, I to me the big horizon that has the potential to be really 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 liberating sounds very far out to talk about, which is the mm-hmm. potential invention of zero point energy, which is mm-hmm. something that Nikola Tesla was said to have uh, figured out, but then Edison. um you know there were there were things that went down but there's something that there's scientists all over the world working on right now which is that it's a known fact to physicists that in like a centimeter of empty space there is more potential energy than is present in the whole manifest universe already wow in a centimeter of empty space because that empty space is um Well, it's, (laughs) I mean, there's this whole, it's, uh, boy, I'm bad at explaining physics, but people can look up, there's a beautiful (laughs) book called Cosmometry by Marshall Lefferts that goes into um, these, I'll type out the name in the chat, just because it's a funny, funny title, Cosmometry, (laughs) Marshall Lefferts, it goes into explaining this, but basically, there's all of this energy that if we could figure out a way to access it, would, you know, would create, Wow. Be endlessly creative. Um, and would not create pollution and would not create all this. And what I think is fascinating is that there's a parallel between making the unconscious conscious and mm. I think accessing this zero point energy because this energy is it's the unmanifest, it's empty space. Yeah. So I think the more that we humans make our unconscious conscious, the closer that we will come to the parallel synchronistic technological breakthrough Mm -hmm. of making the unmanifest energy manifest, um, accessing the zero point energy, which literally would remove all scarcity. Like you could Mm -hmm. create anything, you could power anything, you could make anything. I mean, all of human war and oppression has existed because of the apparent scarcity of apparently mm-hmm. there's only some resources and we have to fight for them. And then we screw each other over and everything's fucked.
1: And sometimes, well, because that pussy is just too bottom. You energy. Helen of Troy, right? There's only one yeah. Helen <laughs> of Troy.
2: Yeah, all, all, all of that stuff. So removing, so there's, I think we are on the potential of, a, of a, an elevation of consciousness and a concurrent evolution of technology that mm-hmm. literally removes scarcity from our experience and that that is what it will really take at a deep level to see a massive
1: mm.
2: newness in the way that we are that would be each other.
1: amazing wouldn't that be amazing so that's a little prayer in my oh, heart maybe that's I love it I'm end. gonna hold it in my heart yeah. now too that is beautiful Thank you so much. We have a question that we always like to ask every guest when we finish, which you can answer as um, glibly or as deeply as feels good to you, Mm -hmm. which is if you could go back in time and give your teenage self one piece of advice, one thing to say, what would you tell her?
2: Oh my goodness. Oh boy. What a great question. (laughs) Um, Well, I would give her my book. (laughs) I'd be like, good luck, kid. Um, You know, you're going to, it's it's really okay to enjoy all of this drama as much mm. as you actually do it's really okay mm. um that would probably be the main thing
1: i love that that's so wonderful thank you so much for speaking with me today carolyn it's been a real pleasure thank you Isabella. it's been lovely
0: the sex magic podcast is more than just a podcast we are a collective a community a conversation If what we do here resonates with you, I'd like to invite you to join us on Patreon. But what even is Patreon? It's an online platform where you can directly support artists and creators. In exchange, you receive exclusive benefits. It's a direct form of energetic exchange. If you'd like to join us on Patreon, we have some incredible monthly benefits, such as live Q and A's, where you can ask us questions every month and tune in to get them all answered. We also have an incredible Discord community where you can connect with other people around the world and talk about things within the realm of sexuality and spirituality, along with monthly resources, rituals, tarot insight, and crystal guides to help further your spiritual path. So if you'd like to support us and show us how much you appreciate the work that we do with the Sex Magic Podcast, I invite you to check out our Patreon. We have the link down in the show notes, but you can also go on patreon.com slash sexmagicpodcast.